Hi, this is Jen Lee, and you are listening to Feeling Circle. Can't believe it is December, and I've invited me to my guest from episode one back. It's a full circle moment uh, to end this first season of uh, the podcast. So this will be a two-part session. Uh, the first part reflecting on the year together. It'll be a different type of dynamic than my previous podcasts with um, both Me Too and I really going deep and sharing together. Uh, so without further ado, welcome Me Too. Hey Jen, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> you know, so many people reached out to me after your podcast and was like, oh, that was a good one. I resonated so much with that one. So I'm thankful that you're back. How did you feel after that first podcast was released? Uh, I felt very vulnerable and scared. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I'm not the type of person to even post statuses on Facebook because I like have a lot of like shame or just like cringe like looking back at things that i've written and said um so it felt a little scary to have something recorded out there mm -hmm. but i'm glad that some people were able to connect with it yeah i've listened to it multiple times even since i published it um because there's a lot that i've taken away specifically the pursuing the objective truth that has shown up even when i really didn't want it to show up like in an <laughs> annoying way like, okay, I'm going on a tangent. I'm sorry. But when I um, missed our flight going to Costa Rica, um, I realized I do this thing where I will twist the truth to kind of just create a bigger impact. So, for example, in reality, the flight was delayed 15 minutes. But while we were on that delayed flight, waiting for it to depart, I was like, we're 30 minutes past. Like, it was just not true but in but i did that to just create more um i don't know if it's like punishing myself to create more impact but i realize i do this thing that when i'm spiraling i'll twist the truth a little bit to create more impact for myself to like punish myself in a way it's really twisted and weird but then I was like, oh, me too told me to pursue objective truth and I'm not pursuing objective truth right now. F my life. And I'm more <laughs> so self-aware of those moments. Oh, and I do that with weight too. Like, for example, uh, I'm putting this out there, but my weight that I was pre-pregnancy and that I've been most consistently in my life is 124. I'm 130 right now, but I always tell myself, oh my gosh, I can't believe I gained 10 pounds when really I gained six. And those four pounds, okay, that might not be significant. But for me, I'm like just trying to punish myself a little bit more with saying I gained 10 pounds, even though that's not true. I don't know. I just noticed mm -hmm. those little stupid things that I do after your podcast. Um, that's funny. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think yeah. that kind of exaggeration of consequences is something that's common um, with people who have more like anxiety mindsets. So it's mm -hmm. like, oh, like if I do this thing, like my whole world will crumble. And so mm -hmm. one of the ways to manage that is just like setting yourself in reality to be like, actually, only this thing will happen. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And after I became aware of that exaggeration thing, 
I started asking myself, like, why? Why do I kind of twist the truth a little bit? And that's how I got to the conclusion of, like, I'm trying to punish myself a little bit or I'm trying to put myself into action. And I think that's one reason why one of my biggest skill sets is I'm an executor. Like, I can get shit done. And I do this by creating a lot of urgency within myself. And I'm still working through it and finding ways to, I don't know, to to find balance within that whole process and to to pursue the truth. So it was it was a significant podcast okay. for me personally. Um, but anyways, going back to reflection, can you believe it's December already? No, not at all. It feels like. I'm still just starting for the year. I'm trying to grapple with all the things in my life. So yeah, yeah. Um, when it hits December, though, do you just out of habit start kind of reflecting on the year, or does that start with Thanksgiving? Like, what does that process look like? Um, usually, it's not really Thanksgiving that triggers it, but definitely thinking about the new year, like what New Year's resolutions do I want to make for myself. Um, so I feel like it's either that or like my birthday, which is end of September, where I'm just like, mm -hmm. oh, now I'm a year older. What will my next year of life look like? Yeah. What about you? What usually triggers your reflections? When it hits Thanksgiving, I'm always like, oh, shoot, it's the end of the year. Um, and then just by being in sales by nature, I'm always working a quarter ahead. So I'm already looking into my next half of next year and what that should look like and the deals that I want to bring in. And so that already puts me in like the January, Feb mindset. So work does that for me too. Yeah, that makes sense. Like all of my Q3 is 2023 planning. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That kind of exactly. starts the mindset. Yeah, January is my birthday. So this is literally my last month of my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> exactly so then i've just been reflecting on my 20s in general so really excited for today's today's podcast so I'll, I'll kick off with the first question which is and i'll ask this to you first when you came into the year of 2022 where were you yeah so going into 2022 i was in a sort of interesting place <laughs> so there's like some good some bad um i think the good part was that i had these like big milestones that i was looking forward to around like you know potentially having our wedding in may starting the home purchase process or like looking for a home um i was kind of working on a big project at work and doing well um so it was like exciting where i felt like i was on like the precipice of changing into like a new phase of my life um but that said i think there are challenges too so if i look at january i was six months into therapy to like manage my own grief and resentment related to my family relationships i was feeling burnt out from work because i was stretching myself so much mentally in terms of like okay. it was kind of a new space a lot of ownership so it was just kind of stressful okay. um and like wedding and home are exciting but i think there's also a lot of anxiety and panic around like is this the right time to do it things are going crazy in the world all this life anxiety and kind of big mm -hmm. decisions so if you were to define where you were in the beginning of this year how would you fill in the blank this season was a season of 
this time was a season of blank. Uh, maybe like uncertainty, mm. um, where it's like I knew what was going, what I had planned for in twenty twenty two, but I didn't know how it was going to turn out, mm. um, or how I would like emotionally get myself through it because mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of it was like oh a lot of these like things are coming up this year like I'm probably just gonna need to survive and tough it through yeah and it makes sense that the peak emotion is uncertainty because there was just so much in action at that time like you said you were you know in this new season of your career and your job and then you were in the height of planning your wedding which was you know a really big wedding with a lot that you were putting into it emotionally, financially, and logistically, it was a season of a lot of action. And the end was uncertain, but you were just putting in a lot. There was a lot of input during that time. Yeah. And it felt like the decisions I was going to make were really high stake. The home purchase journey, like that was when after a long time of low interest rates, they were starting to rise pretty rapidly. And so there was a lot of like, crap, did I lose the opportunity? Are we making a dumb decision if we're trying to jump on a purchase now, even if it's still like objectively low? Mm -hmm. And then for the wedding too, it was like, that was when the Shanghai lockdowns were starting to happen. And so we weren't sure if Sam's family was able to join. And so it was like, do we cancel the wedding and like kind of lose all the planning and just kind of accept that happen or Mm -hmm. kind of go through it, but then kind of deal with some of that friction. In time of that uncertainty, what type of goals were top of mind? How did you keep yourself sane during that time? Yeah, I think grounding myself in why we were doing the thing, what we were hoping to get out of it, and then what would be the impact of the different options on those underlying kind of goals and desires was pretty important. So for example, I think for the wedding, it's easy to say like, oh, you want like all your family there. Um, but we realized there's also a lot of other things other than family, which was why that made, I guess, celebrating the wedding really important to us, kind of mm-hmm. being together with our friends too, marking this milestone um, of our relationship to honor a lot of the journey that we went through and a lot of the challenges and kind of getting to this point, especially marking our 10 year anniversary as a relationship more explicitly stating that was really helpful in making sure that we were making decisions based off of the the right kind of factors it sounds like control what you had in your control and being very mindful of what at core is most meaningful to you during this time yeah i think just being really clear on your intentions Um, Like, this is something I have to apply in my work every day as a product manager, which is like, if you're doing a project, what are the success metrics? What are the actual goals that you're trying to get out of this? What happens if you don't do the project? And all these things center around making sure that you're doing the thing for the right reason and for Mm -hmm. the thing that will give the most impact that you want. That makes sense. How about you? What did your start of 2022 look like? (laughs) 
complete opposite from where you were. <laughs> as, I, as I was listening, I was like, wow, like that sounded like you were in a very productive, just like a, in a season of fullness of, there was just a lot of things. I don't know about fullness. <laughs> okay. Productivity, just a lot of things happening. Um, for me, it was the complete opposite in that it was, if I were to fill in the blank, it was a season of emptiness. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing because it's like super vulnerable. Um, and also very true. It was the peak of my depression. This was the first winter being mm. in Wisconsin. This was a few months after I lost Luke. Um, and so like the busyness of having to move to Milwaukee, the busyness of just the need of to survive because there was just so much going on. For example, moving here, settling in here, finding Clark's nanny or daycare. Uh, winter came. It was, it, it's dark here at 4 p.m. It's cold. It's dark. So there's no reason to leave the house. So it was just like this season of solitude of, a lot of quietness and then a lot of space for my emotions to finally come out. And then when it did, it was so much that I couldn't handle it. Um, so in January, that's when I was finally seeing a therapist. I was seeing a psychiatrist. I was diagnosed with PTSD from everything. I developed this really weird habit of needing to eat ice. It was weird. I had to have a cup of ice multiple times a day. I was still having panic attacks and still just out of nowhere would just fall and cry. I'm getting very emotional talking about this. And I'm also just like, it's just taking me back there. It was a very, very hard time. Yeah. In that season where you were kind of just like barely surviving what was the feeling or moment when you decided that you needed help and that you kind of sought help from a psychiatrist or a therapist yeah hitting that rock bottom is what triggered me to be like this is not normal this is not okay and i need to i need to find a way out of this i had thoughts of hurting myself and as soon as I had those thoughts, I would feel so shameful of like, how could I think like this? And I think it was that, like, that's what I needed almost. That sense of self-shame is actually what really triggered me to seek help. But even the thoughts of hurting myself, it was very, it was almost accidental. And the reason why I say that is like, it's not that like I proactively thought of hurting myself. It's that when I would like, like trip over something, stub my toe or accidentally like accidentally hurt myself, that physical pain felt good. So it started off like that. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So it would start off like that where like I accidentally hurt myself and then kind of just like hold on to that physical pain because it felt so relieving. And then, and then that, 
that experience being like, oh, why does it feel good to hurt myself? And then I started thinking about ways that I can accidentally hurt myself and then feel better again and lean into this sense of relief that I was feeling. And then and then that shame that came afterwards after talking about it with my therapist and psychiatrist of like why I was experiencing this because I was so confused as to why I was seeking for this physical pain. And um, it was because I was feeling so much pain inside that when I finally felt it outside, it felt more real. And there was a sense of relief that that pain was real and it just wasn't inside. Yeah, because I know we kind of talked a lot during that period of like how you're feeling kind of coping with everything. You had talked a lot about kind of suppressing your feelings and numbing them because you just had like so much other shit to do logistically to get your life in place. Um, so I think it, it makes sense that those moments of like finally allowing you to feel something, even if it was physically and less emotionally, would kind of trigger something for you. But I think yeah. that's also helpful to hear for people to kind of understand what are what are the moments to kind of understand what your rock bottom might look like. Because um, obviously for you, I think it showed up in those thoughts. But what might have triggered a lot of that shame is kind of the, uh, I guess, like the the recognition that how you're feeling doesn't align with how you would normally feel or think. Mm-hmm. And then when you like feel that dissonance, then it's like, oh. Maybe something's going on. Yeah, yeah. Because it was, I, I I, think that was maybe a week or two of me exploring this weird emotion and weird need to feel physical pain to then be like, okay. And the fact that I'm exploring this idea, the fact that like I'm interested in this is I need help. And I think what also just didn't align is like, how could I want this and how can I go down this path when I have this beautiful baby Clark that looks up to me and that needs me to show up literally show up a hundred percent so that he can have the mom that he needs you know so I think that was also a prime motivation for me to start seeing a psychiatrist and therapist and really want to be better like I think for a moment there, like December and January, when it was super dark and depressing, I just kind of allowed myself to be there in those dark moments. Um, and I didn't necessarily want to get out. Like, I didn't want to be better. Um, so there is like a sense of I need to be better that really pushed me to make those actions then to seek help. That makes sense. But yeah, I I also think it is good that you gave yourself the time to fully feel those negative feelings as well. Yeah. Because as you know, <laughs> whenever you try to push through those emotions too quickly, it always bites us in the ass. <laughs> yeah, I might be jumping ahead, but it was, that was the start of me still embracing all my emotions. Um, and then realizing what happens when you don't to then even like have feeling circle and know why it's so important to have time and space for your feelings. Um, So hindsight, like 12 months hindsight, that that 
lowness was necessary for me to really understand why it's so important to take care of my feelings. It's like having gone through that experience, um, how do you know when you've spent enough time feeling the feelings and should move to change? Because I feel like that's something hard mm. for me to recognize. Where it's like, There's some risk of like when you sit in the negative feeling too long, it becomes this dark black hole that just like you circle mm -hmm. down more and more into that feeling. Um, but then if you rush past it too much, then that's also unhealthy. So how yeah. do you recognize that balance? Yeah. For me, it's asking myself and like taking a bird's eye look of myself and it, do I like who I am in this moment? Since then, I've become a very like much more emotional person since reaching rock bottom. And when I say I've become more emotional, I love feeling anger. I love myself in my sadness and I love myself um, even when I'm going through emotions like anguish, I will at some point recognize and define that I'm feeling this emotion and tell myself like, I am very proud that I'm feeling anger, for example. So, and I practice feeling angry. I know that's really weird, but like, it's because anger is not a, it's not an easy emotion for me because I've worked to suppress it my entire life that I literally had to practice it to start feeling it more naturally. But these bigger emotions make me feel wholer. So I let myself sit in these um, emotions like anger or sadness. I let myself sit in these moments in a way where it's still healthy. And I think that's that's my guiding principle. Like, am I in these motions in a way where I, I can still feel proud of myself? Because for me... I love looking back and seeing how big and terrible the situation was, but how it came out of it. That feeling of just like, I am so proud of myself and how I showed up. I love that feeling. I seek after that feeling. I think even just the fact that I'm sitting in those emotions, I feel already proud of myself. For me, it's something similar mm -hmm. where like I I imagine myself as like an older parent self that and I am their child and it's like what would be the advice or guidance I would give to child me in this moment and I feel like in that mindset I'm better able to recognize like it's like I clearly wouldn't want them to just skip over these emotions but there's mm -hmm. also a point where I'm like, okay, you, you've been there long enough. Now it's time to mm -hmm. do something mm -hmm. about it. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of been helpful for me as well. Mm -hmm. And I think those different guiding principles work different to everyone, depending on where they're starting off with. Like I'm starting off at a point where I didn't allow myself to feel anger and sadness that the, just the fact that I'm feeling those emotions, I'm so proud. So it ends up being a very productive time for me to really sit there. Yeah. But for you, where's your starting point when it comes to sadness and anger and maybe those heavier emotions? 
growing up, I've always been pretty comfortable sitting in more negative emotions. I was like a very angry child. I think I told you about like the only time I've journaled was when I was younger. And when I read my journal, it's all just me cussing out people. <laughs> so, I'm very practiced at anger. <laughs> Sorry, points are definitely different. The emotions I needed to practice were actually more like traditionally positive emotions, like joy and hope and all these things, which <laughs> sounds so depressing. Um, but I think part of it was, you know, certain experiences by like being regularly disappointed by certain things or certain people, um, mm -hmm. kind of learned me to like shield myself from that disappointment and to better shield is just to not have expectations. Another part of what I realized was, um, like as a really heavy introvert, um, I was listening to this podcast from like. Susan Kane, her like recent thing about introversion is this, um, this feeling of like lament. Mm -hmm. um, I've listened so to like, Susan Kane. Yeah, and so yeah. it's like even in these moments of joy, like the, like the, one of the big things I experience and feel in that moment is like how this moment will pass, <laughs> or like how like the friends that I'm with right now will like not always be here or no longer um, be like as available or like all these things even as I'm experiencing this joyful moment I'm very cognizant of I guess like how temporary it might be that it won't mm -hmm. stay this way forever I probably handled that feeling of lament in not the best way in terms of also just shielding myself from that joy um, so that's something I've been practicing more is like how can I still experience full joy and like feel it fully um mm -hmm. knowing that it is uh not always going to stay that way it's almost like joy and lament are connected in some ways doesn't susan cain say sometimes you feel more joy if you're able to access the emotion more within lamenting or something like that yeah, I think so. I don't, I don't know if I've learned to apply it fully. There's something to, I guess, acknowledging that nuance in a feeling and learning how to live in both of them at the same time instead of mm -hmm. trying to, I guess, like separate and bucket them separately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, yeah. part of my journey. <laughs> yeah. And how did the year actually unfold uh, in ways that you did or did not expect after just going into where you were when you came into the year? How did it actually unfold? Going into the year, a lot of my expectations and goals were around drawing boundaries with my family as I was heading into these major life milestones and then kind of just surviving the craziness of the year. I think normally I have these very specific personal development goals and this was the first year where I was like, I just need to survive and stay afloat. And that will be the win. In terms of how it unfolded in ways I didn't expect. Yeah. Um, at least like for family boundary setting specifically, I think I had very specific relationships that I was targeting to set boundaries with. What was unexpected was that 
that boundary setting would need to happen a little bit more broadly to more family relationships. I thought I'd have an issue with this person, but actually <laughs> I'm having an issue with this other person. Um, so that was interesting to adjust to and kind of just think about, you know, whenever your own boundaries are setting, it might impact even the relationships that you feel like are in good standing right now. Um, okay. cause ultimately it's a change for everyone. Yeah. But can I also just say season of where you were, where like wedding planning and a wedding, there's going to be significantly more opportunities for conflict. Yep. than to other typical years. Were you conscious of that as you were in this time of trying to set boundaries? For sure. There is something about these like big life milestones that really amplify the significance and impact of like any action or words and all these things. Um, and so that was something that I wanted to be really intentional about during my wedding journey it's also one of the few times where you can really objectively say like i need to prioritize me on this day and not your needs um and for people who are traditionally used to you accommodating their boundaries and not your own um i knew that that would be a place that it shows up um, more than it normally would mm -hmm. Yeah, because when I look back in my life, like all the biggest family conflicts have been aligned with seasons of weddings within yeah, the family. It, yeah, you're setting boundaries with the family. You're defining very clearly relationships with even your friends and what circle they're in based on if they're invited or not, if they're in your bridal party or groom party, um, are they invited to your bachelorette? So yeah. like. It's, and yeah. then you're also defining what you and your partner and the family you're creating. And yeah, that inevitably creates conflict too. Yeah. Yeah. Fun stuff. <laughs> so then looking at the start of the year, what were your goals and kind of how did it end up unfolding from your perspective? Yeah. Um, so for myself, my goals or definitely courage. That was the value that I really prioritized and knowing just where I was, um, I think it was courage and healing. That was my top priority. Yeah. Do you mind if we dive into maybe like how your goals may have progressed? Cause I imagine like where you were at with your goals at the start of January were a little bit different than you know, after a few months of therapy and after learning new things about yourself. So kind of yeah. how did that look and progress over the year? Actually, um, it didn't change much. So it continued to stay courage and healing even throughout this year. And the reason why courage was even top of mind is that's when I started listening to uh, a lot of podcasts. So Brene Brown, Glenn Doyle, um, Oprah, um, but Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, is all about courage. The most regular podcast I listen to is hers. It's all about courage. And just from listening to the stories of people who prioritize courage, you could just tell how much transformation, transformation that really catalyzed. And I think because I was such in a low point, I knew I needed some kind of internal transformation. That's how 
courage became top of mind. And the more I pursued courage, the more I saw the value of it. Um, and I saw how it helped with my healing process of finding myself again and finding who I wanted to be and how I wanted to show up every day. Courage really helps me. How did you know that courage was the right goal for you? Where I'm coming from, I normally feel like I need to like do the emotional work and go through the journey before really understanding what needs to happen. Um, but it sounds like there was something in your journey where you could actually trust your intuition at the beginning, even when you were still just trying to figure out how to survive. Um, so how do you identify that? Yeah. So I think that I've always prioritized values more than anything else every year. I, this is something I've done for many, many years now where like years prior, I prioritized patience. I prioritized humility. I've prioritized um, Thanksgiving, being wholesome and pursuing wholeness. Um, and I've never thought to prioritize courage ever. So I think the habit of always prioritizing values every year and trying to practice more of something else um, and courage being foreign, but also with many resources available, just from what Glenn Doyle was pushing out, I think that's how I prioritized it. What did courage mean to you at the start of the year? And did that evolve as you kind of explored and dove into that in the year? Yeah, it definitely did involve. So at first, I think courage meant, courage meant really owning up to the emotions I was feeling. I think I was really embarrassed by how, um, I was embarrassed and kind of disappointed in myself with how um, I was showing up in the beginning of the year, like the thoughts of hurting myself, the needing to take Xanax, not saying that medication is bad, but I took medication to pass, pass out because I couldn't handle my emotions. Um, and then I felt really embarrassed in front of Clark and Daniel that, um, like, so broken I was like I think that's how I defined myself a lot in those earlier months I I would define myself as just a broken person like I didn't even know how I could become whole again I just so it just felt like impossible at some points um and I think courage showed up to me in that like I could do it I like I I know that I can do it, even though it seemed impossible. I just needed that extra push and courage just seemed like the value that I could focus on that would help me do that. And part of being courageous is being vulnerable and being very realistic as to where I was in that moment. Um, so courage showed up in just meeting myself where I was at and, and accepting myself. And then it later developed to showing 
uh, for myself in a way where I took up more space and used my voice. Um, I was really inspired by Glennon Doyle and the way she pursued her own desires. And the more I tried to pursue my own desires and actually think about what I loved doing, what was my passion, what gave me joy, the more I realized you need courage to do that because it's so easy to, and I talk about this in the previous podcast, but it's so easy to be reactive. And I think especially as I became a mom, wife, and just like felt the expectation to fill these roles and with these roles came like the highest of expectations, the more I realized, oh my gosh, it's so easy to lose yourself in the way that we feel like we need to show up. But actually, how do I actually want to show up? What do I actually care about? Not because someone tells me that I need to care about these things, but because it actually fills me up when I think about doing these things or showing up in these ways. And so courage evolved into really being attentive to myself and saying that I deserve to be courageous for myself. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, the interesting takeaway I have from that is, like, I normally think of courage as suck it up, ignore your fear, <laughs> and then you can, like, do the thing, right? How do you, like, just, like, quiet your own fears that you can do the thing that you need to do? And the interesting way that you're describing courage is actually gaining that source of strength, not from ignoring your feelings, but actually by grounding it and centering it in your values and kind of where you want to show up. Um, so I think that's like a really interesting new angle to think about courage. And what's super interesting is the more courageous I've gotten, the more curious I've gotten, the more I've taken up space and the more bigger I keep getting. There's like, there's a sno snowball effect with courage. I've definitely become super just more emotional than I've ever been in my life. But because of that, I feel more full. When you say that you feel more curious as part of your courage, what are you more curious about? Um, I think because courage gave me agency and gave me agency to make decisions for myself instead of just being reactive. And the more agency I've gotten, the more curious I've gotten into what could all these other paths look like? What? How can I be mindful um, in a way that makes me better? And by having that question, it just makes me more curious about the environment around me and the power that I have. So it sounds like as you kind of put your like courage and agency into practice, then by doing it, you're able to see like new and other opportunities where you could show up in that same way. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and I know that we are approaching time. So this is going to be part one of today's session. And there's so much more that I want to dive deep into in the next part, next half, which is not only how did the year unfold in ways that you did not expect? But what are your favorite me memories? What are your not so favorite memories? And what are your biggest takeaways? And um, and then also just thinking about how we want to start next year. 
So um, I hope that that was a good first half. Is there anything else that you want to add me to before we wrap this first half? Um, I don't think so. Just thank you for sharing. Seeing you go through that journey was um, like really inspiring at the time and even reflecting on it now. So I just want to say I'm really proud of you and your journey. I love you. And I, I love you too. I love you and Sam so much. It's just so interesting how we like went back to January of this year before your wedding, before your bachelor party, and before all the things that went down because it really worked out for you. I would say it mostly worked out for you. I think there were some things that were unexpected. When you think about all that work that you put in in the beginning, and even though there were uncertainty, how do you feel about even just like your wedding or some of the relationships that came out of it? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's until I went through the reflection process for this podcast that I like even remembered that that was where I was at at the start of the year. Because I feel like we're always just like, okay, like we achieved the thing. Now it's like the next thing. Um, and so I can... In my mind, that feels like years ago, but actually that was less than 12 months ago that I was in that place. Um, so I, I think it is an interesting exercise to go through that and like really ground yourself and like this is actually where we start at the beginning of the year and kind of appreciate how how far we've come to the point that we forget that it was still this year. <laughs> Yeah, because you had the most beautiful wedding. There was so much love in the air, truly love and alcohol. Uh, but love, more, <laughs> so, <laughs> more so love, but lots, lots of alcohol. And even like your bachelor party, it was such a good time. Uh, and you could tell, oh, no, we're going to go into this in the next pod, in the next session. So we'll go into those things in the next call. But thank you so much again, me too, and excited for session two. Thank you, Jen.